0: Let's roll out the red carpet for our next guest on the Afton Podcast, the multi-talented Robin Careless. Writer, director, and recently stepping into the realm of video game design, Robin's creativity knows no bounds. From creating films since 2007 to winning Best Short at the Horror Hound Film Festival, his storytelling expertise is captivating. He's also one of the masterminds behind Builders Anonymous, a specialty costume and prop house, and a proud member of Ayahtzee 873. Get ready to journey into the imaginative world of Robin Careless. Uh, so, we're going to start with writing, directing, and building a career in film so can you take us through your journey of building a successful career in the film industry from writing and directing to founding builders anonymous with Chen and ian of course
1: yeah absolutely so i i've had a very kind of um confusing route to, to how i got here so i started filmmaking when i was 13 which for those of you playing along at home is almost 20 years ago now um and i I've always been the kind of person who really loves story and and loves film. And and I remember uh, really distinctly knowing I wanted to get into film and not really knowing how. And then kind of like two major things happened. One, YouTube existed and I saw some like fan films and uh, I've been blessed with the audacity gene. So I saw that and I was like, I could do that uh you know smash gut. 20 years later here i am (laughs) still doing that um and then the the other kind of big formative one was not when i was 13 i was a bit older but um the space channel which is the sci-fi channel in canada uh used to do these like friday night fright nights oh where they'd play two movies back to back that are kind of like vaguely thematically connected
0: and so like like what's what's the one with what's his name what's his name what's his name the fast and furious guy Vin Diesel. Yes. Like
1: Like Riddick?
0: Yeah, like Riddick. Yeah, that's actually where I saw
1: Pitch Black the first time. Oh, really? Or Pitch Dark. The the first Riddick movie. I actually saw that on a Friday Night, Friday Night. So yes, exactly that. Um, So this specific one, I will never forget, and I own both these movies uh, to this day, but it was Ginger Snaps and Dracula 2000. Nice. Uh, Both great schlocky movies, uh, fun horror movies if you haven't seen them, and both shot in Toronto. Really? Yeah, and so... So in between the two, they would show like behind the scenes footage that they'd shot. And they had this footage uh, with a, a very talented prosthetics maker uh, named Paul Jones, who was filming some behind the scenes stuff in his shop in Toronto for Ginger Snaps that they'd shot mm. uh, and, and had just shown. And that was the first time I really found out you could make movies in Canada. Uh, and it's wild to me now because I actually I know Paul and, and he's a good friend of mine. And, and so like that kind of arc of. Like he was really the person who kind of introduced me to the concept, um, but then this is where the story gets confusing. So, <laughs> and I, I don't know if you actually know this. Uh, so I had, I had a really complicated childhood, and so by the time I got to go with like post secondary, uh, I was really poor, mm. and so I uh, I was both really poor and really ambitious, and that's a that's a tricky kind of combination. And so I applied to Vancouver Film School because I found this program that they had and it was one year and you do 50 percent theory and 50 percent practical and you end up leaving with like a 30 minute doc and a short film and, like and a, it. It, it was rad you do a music video it was what i wanted to do because i've always struggled with uh keeping attention in theory mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm very adhd and so i um if i'm not like really engaged on it i i just i it'll slough off like water on the duck
0: nice um well not nice yeah
1: Yeah. well i I think it's been helpful to know that about myself and so so i sought out this this course um and i supplied i i I applied and i applied like using the internet at the library and the payphone at the local so because like we did not have phones or internet at the time um and they came back to me and they were like hey so yeah like you know it's going to be forty seven thousand dollars for one year um for one year for one year and that doesn't include you know like living expenses of moving in Van- moving to vancouver because i was uh, living in ottawa at the time and I, Is I that
0: program still on
1: i don't know uh i i shockingly didn't follow up for
0: one year <laughs> for one year 40K. yeah it, it,
1: yeah it was it was almost 50k it was it was really ambitious and um the the ontario government like student funding kind of thing would only give me uh, a maximum of 10 grand because it's out of province yeah um, and that's assuming my grades were good, which they were not. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I remember having this kind of existential dilemma of, of, you know, really running into the fact that, uh, economically I was not being set up to succeed in my, my chosen vocation. However, um, at the time I was also running a uh, shadow which is a, like a theatrical performance in front of a movie. They do it a lot with Rocky horror. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like here in Toronto, if you go to the Rocky horror screenings, they have a a troupe of actors. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was doing it for a movie called Repo the Genetic Opera. Um which I'm very proud of. Uh my my As cast. Should be. Well my cast ran um it was the longest running Canadian shadow cast of, of Repo. We ran for 6 years. Um Wow. Yeah.
0: Congrats. Major congrats. Thank you.
1: It, it it's one of those things that I, I I often say I wouldn't have a career without uh my Repo shadow cast because it was also shot in Toronto. And so I, <laughs> through that, met Alex Kavanaugh, who is to this day one of my my best friends. She's uh, the costume designer of that movie. Um, and also, the like most of the Saw movies and, and two of the Ginger Snaps movies, Alex is very prolific. Um, and so through the Shadowcast, I ended up building all the costumes for our, our Shadowcast on that. And I, I met Alex um, and I was talking to her about it. And I'd come to Toronto because there used to be a Toronto cast as well. And they... We're doing like an anniversary show and they had a bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it was shot in Toronto, a bunch of the crew came and a bunch of the actors that were in Toronto and, and some of the L.A. crew came down as well. It was a great time. And I was telling Alice kind of about this and she was like, I'll let, let me see if I can set something up. So she arranged for me, I was 17 at the time, uh, to sit down with the director of the movie, Darren Lynn Bousman, mm-hmm. um, and get his thoughts and his advice because she was like, yeah, you know, pick his brains. He's a nice guy. Darren's super sweet. Um, really, really wonderful, uh, person. And he, you know, we, we sat in a, in a in a bar that I don't know that I could legally get into and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and had this conversation and he said, um, you know, don't, if you can't afford film school, don't go to film school, go, you know, move to Toronto, work in film. Mm. You'll learn the same amount as you would in film school. It'll take longer, but they'll pay you. Mm. And I did um and i moved to toronto and i've been here ever since and uh you know i kept making my own stuff and then to get paid i started working in costumes because um i i had the aptitude it's that audacity gene you know i i'd look <laughs> you know when we were starting the, the repo cast we didn't have anybody who could sew and i was like i could do that my whole life built on that one very cocky maneuver um and so i got into that and then started working in in costumes uh both with uh, nabet seven hundred and IATC eight seven
0: three. Uh, did you work off of IATC? Did you just jump in with them? Yeah. Or? So
1: so Alex uh, gave me my first couple uh, like onset costume jobs, mm. um, and she really mentored me and trained me up and taught me how to do the job. Um, and then from there, I, I you know I did some indie stuff, and then was able to apply for permit member like permit status with both unions, um, and then I permitted with them for like a good long while. I think six years. And wow. then settled on on going with uh, IATSE because the the projects that they get were more in line with what I wanted to do with my career. Mm, which um, is
0: like big budget film like that. It's
1: bigger stuff. It's the kind of thing generally that require the kind of costuming I'm interested in, which is a lot of special effects costuming. Yes. Um, which is like spacesuits and armor and super suits. Um, and so from there, we ended up building, uh, generating, founding? Founding. From there, we ended up founding Builders Anonymous. Um with uh, my two business partners, uh Jen Burton Albrook and uh Ian Campbell. And
0: who's gonna be on? Yeah, as who's well. gonna be
1: on? And I'm very excited because he's uh he's a very charming eloquent man. I look forward to hearing that episode. But Me too. Yeah. And this one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh yeah, and, and so that's how Builders Anonymous came about. And then while doing that, I still continued pursuing my own projects um with my production company, Flaw Designs and uh, i made a feature when i was 23 and then we've made several other shorts since then and then i made a video game last year in partnership with uh, shadowland theater here in toronto
0: you're a busy one i
1: yeah i it it i i i do think it's a bit of the adhd thing yeah i i hyper focus on an idea when i get one and then i i uh really commit to it and i over commit to it and uh you know i don't sleep a lot but it's <laughs> fine uh yeah honestly
0: though Like, I I could see where the ambitious behavior, I would say, comes from, especially when you have, when you come from a place where you have nothing and you kind of have that glooming at the back of your head all the time. Like, okay, like, I know what nothing looks like. Yeah. You know, when you have a visual of what nothing is, what poverty is, you really understand where you do not want to go. And thus, I see your. You being ambitious as also this sign or or this subconscious notion in the back of your head saying that I don't want to go where I was before, and moreover, anything,
1: oh, absolutely. And uh, i it it's that 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 sort of Damocles hanging over your head at all times of mm. knowing where you don't want to go back to. and And it's kind of funny. I remember years ago, I think it was while I was on Star Trek Discovery um and it was the first time i was making like consistently good money and i remember having this fear of like am i going to get complacent you know <laughs> am i am i going to be like oh i'm going to get too comfortable and then and then you know old poverty's going to sneak up and, and bite me turns out no that fear does not go away no. uh yeah it you know it, it gets quieter but it stays with you which yeah you know, and at the same time
0: with feeling that it's not necessarily that okay i'm gonna go back to like i'm afraid of going back to square one i'm just no scared of going backwards yes yeah that's more what it feels like so i i like you always have this Urge to one up yourself constantly, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, type of thing. I have the same feeling. Oh, I know. Same background. Yeah. Um. So, what motivated you to get into writing and directing before costume, though? Because that's something that you also mentioned.
1: So, writing is a huge part of my family. Um, my my family are all nonfiction writers, but like my grandfather uh, actually had the Order of Canada for um, uh, writing history books. He he was the head of the history department at U of T. Uh, Kind of a big deal uh, in in those circles. Uh, he is, yeah. He met the queen. Uh, it was very exciting, and so I was really brought up in a in in kind of a framework that was very like writing forward. Mm. Um, and I, you know, when I was young, I tried to to write novels, and my the the way narratives kind of work in my head doesn't really go well to to the structure of novels. Um is it
0: one of those like Christopher Nolan Tenet type of thing where it's back and forth
1: sort of it's more a rhythm thing and I think it's it's got to do with the the three act structure of films and and even the five act structure of of TV episodes plays better to how my brain interprets stories in terms of like uh you know where where your rising tension should be and and where you should be hitting these notes mm. and so I was writing attempting to write novels that were turning into novellas and and getting kind of frustrated i was like this isn't long enough and this isn't you know for for the novel format it wasn't feeling right you know yeah i think so much of art is is being able to feel whether or not it's right yeah i know know what
0: you mean even if like if something doesn't look right it just doesn't look right
1: exactly and and you know you get into those those points uh, especially because i also edit all my own stuff um where you're like it's wrong. I don't know why it's wrong. And I'm gonna try 30, you know, variations <laughs> until I can find what's wrong with it. But uh but yeah, and and so with, with novel writing, I I could tell it was wrong. And I realized eventually it was because I was describing a movie I was seeing in my head. And so from there I, I shifted into screenwriting. And cool. then from there I was like, I'm just gonna make it.
0: Can you myself. elaborate on the difference between
1: screenwriting and novel writing yes um yeah so so i mean format wise they're entirely different um because screenwriting is a lot less uh like prose like you have very short paragraphs usually like f- two sentences of just like action description mm-hmm. um and then also uh you know format wise you're, you're really not supposed to like say what the character's thinking necessarily because you're supposed to leave room for you know ambiguity type of thing well and what the actor is going to bring to it uh, filmmaking is a much more collaborative sport than novel writing is where Mm. novel writing you know excluding the the editor is is a conversation between the the author and the the reader like the audience and those two people collaborate together to to make the reader hallucinate vividly In their head you know they 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 create those sorts of things so the the author will have to provide a lot more information to fill in those spots Mm -hmm. but as a screenwriter i don't need to tell you intrinsically on the page what the actor looks like because you're going to watch it you're going to see what that actor looks like yeah and that actor is going to want to have room as an artist to move and fill that character in with their own life okay so you don't want to put too much note within the script yeah and it's kind it's it's something i I struggle with i my first draft are always i call them writer's drafts because they're much denser um because i get into like i'm like i see this movie let me Mm -hmm. you know neurotically describe a film that (laughs) has not been made yet to you and then the second draft you go through and you're like oh i don't need to say You know which hand this thing is in, or like you know the color of their outfit necessarily, because like that's what the costume designer does, and that's you know it's about leaving enough space to let the other artists you will work with do their job and collaborate and and be part of the process. That's lit. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's a lot better in my in my experience. (laughs) It suits me a lot better because then I can still do those like those fun moments of um like i remember in this one one of my first novels i no will mm-hmm. ever read it but there was a bit where uh because there was like it was a demon hunter because i was watching buffy the vampire slayer and all <laughs> artists theft um and somebody got like thrown through like three tombstones and like hit a wall and i described all three and i did this gag like twice and i was like this it doesn't really like makes like you read it and you're like it doesn't it's not funny um, but I was like, yeah, if you shot it like Evil Dead, you know, and you have the camera following this person, like bang, 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 mm. wall. I was like, yeah, that could be really funny, but it, it doesn't work written down. I remember seeing like a,
0: uh, what's this, uh, behind the scenes of, I think it was X-Men, mm. where they did the same type of uh, Maybe that's shot. where I
1: stole it from. I was I was young and very <laughs> thefty. Um, I have improved on that, but yeah.
0: Honestly, though, like, what's what's the quote about stealing... Uh, uh, a great artist like a good artist does not copy a great a good artist steals something. I don't know find find something find, like find the quote and I, I think I, it was Pablo Picasso or something oh like, probably something
1: like that, that man rank, rank <laughs> on his part but yeah
0: you did mention about like your writing and directing yeah and could you discuss your experience as a writer and director for a film so basically like what motivated you to start creating your own content because I feel like with creating your own content, it's very different from creating content for other people, right? Um, for I'll use myself for instance. Absolutely. I create like my piece, like my Instagram pieces, You're incredibly whatever.
1: unsettling pieces of beautiful art. Yes. Thank you. Yeah.
0: I create those for myself, right? Um. However, there is this notion or this thing that a lot of people have where they recreate something that has already been created or they or they just like work for someone and create someone else's story right and that's mainly off of the notion for me of like not necessarily being afraid to feel vulnerable but at the same time like creating something of your own you're led to be vulnerable moreover anything to the rest of the world yeah so like by producing something and by giving it out for criticism or just showing the world you're going to get some like people saying oh yes i love it oh yes i don't love it and that makes you feel vulnerable so i feel like yeah creating and creating your own piece has that vulnerability Right. So yeah, like So why would, would I risk that? Why would you risk that and what motivates you to create?
1: So uh I I generally like to think that all art is a conversation we don't know how to have with words. Mm. So for me, I mean it started partially because uh total honesty, my first movie was a Batman fan film. I was 13, <laughs> I played chubby Batman, it was a mess. <laughs> but It was very much for for me at that moment is is I was like, oh, you know, this is something I could do with my friends. It could be cool. And I could tell a story that I'd love to to see or to read. Um, And that's kind of how I started was it was telling stories that I wished existed, um, which I I think I in, you know, in retrospect, I think a lot of a lot of filmmakers talk about, you know, make the movie you you, your favorite movie you haven't seen yet, you know, Mm. Um, because it is it is for for you at the end of the day. Yes. Um, and and so like like my video game, uh, our video game, it, there was a lot of people working on, uh, which is called Light and Shadow. Um, it's all about anxiety and depression. Mm. And there's a lot of elements that we, we approach with it. But part of it was that I it was important to me to make a game that I thought would have helped me when I was struggling as a teenager who, uh, you know, does and was at the time suffering from anxiety and depression and trying to to understand how to survive that and handle that. Um and so that was something there where I was like, you know, it's let, let's try to have that conversation but also like you don't want to be preachy about it but like yeah, it was it was making something that I wish I had at the time mm. in that same kind of making it for 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 yourself sort of way which thankfully has been very positively received. Um <laughs> because I I think that one more than anything I would have been really really wrecked if uh the internet had been mean to me. But yeah. That's
0: good. And how has that changed over time? Because like now you're creating. I, I don't feel like you're creating. I, I don't know. Yeah. But would you say that you're still creating for the you that was young?
1: No, I do, I don't think so. What um, motivates you now? So now I'm my my uh for for me <laughs> I always uh kind of joke that it's my hyperfixations run amok. And so, uh, especially because I work in a, a lot of genre fare, um, which is a lot of like using established tropes and trappings in a new fashion. Um, so for me, a lot of it's about evoking uh, emotional feeling mm. that is like not necessarily nostalgic, but like like that people, they, they know on some level what to expect when they're going into it. And then you yeah. both fulfill those expectations and subvert them. Mm. And so it's an interesting way of, of working within like a larger framework um but still having freedom to be um your own kind of artist which i uh, enjoy and so a lot of times i'll uh i usually start with a location and i'll have like the idea for a place and i'll be like oh what happens there and then my brain will be like oh what if it was like this cool you know like it's a murder mystery but like you know it's it's this instead you know um and that's and so, yeah, so now I'm just making, making movies that I want to watch because I'm like, oh, that'd be rad. And especially because I can see it in my head and I get really caught up in it. And, and, you know, uh, all my friends have to hear me nattering on about like, oh, but and then this, and then this, and they're like, <laughs> it's just like an enthusiastic person telling you a movie they saw, but it doesn't exist. So you can't go watch it That's on your true, own. Right? And so I'm like, well, I've got to make it so that other people can be like, that was a cool moment. Like it's all just, it's all just fulfilling my brain.
0: You did say, and I'm gonna diverge a bit mm. here. You did say that. Uh, what's this? You go for locations first. Is that what you normally do? Find a location first before you create a scene? Oh, or?
1: I didn't say I. I find a location first. I come up with the location. Oh, you, first. you
0: come up with the location. Yeah, first. usually. And then you. S- you scout for the location. Don't you find that harder than- Oh, way harder.
1: It's it's a terrible way of doing things. <laughs> I don't recommend it at all. Um, yeah, no, I, but no, I usually, uh, yeah, the, generally speaking, the image of like a, a, a space comes to me first. And then the next question is, well, who lives there or who inhabits that space and why are they there? And so- I find that kind of prompts me to ask the right questions um Mm. yeah although actually in 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 a total fluke the the current script that i'm working on for my next feature uh started with a conversation and i it's still in the movie where i was i was cooking in my kitchen and i just had this conversation between two people pop into my head about like one person telling the other like oh just so you know he thinks he's funny what why (laughs) what do you mean why well is he funny or not no if he was funny i would have said he was funny like that kind of thing yeah and then i just reverse engineered an entire movie that's not about that from this like random snippet of dialogue so i was like that's fun i like that that's interesting why are they they there you know it's yeah it's always some kind of instigating moment
0: honestly like those moments where you have a little spark yeah you know and then you're into dialogue and Personally, I won't lie. I yeah. get that a lot when I'm like taking a shower. Yeah, showers are the best for it. I yeah always are. Yeah, yeah. Or or I'll just put like my headphones on and listen to some cinematic movie. Like movie. Oh yeah, I like I music. it really
1: messes up my algorithms because I insist on listening to the Skyrim soundtrack when I write.
0: <laughs> I listened to that for the first time. It's a good the other soundtrack. Day. and oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it was worth it. Yeah. I was sculpting, but then now. When I think of the Sky Skyrim,
1: Yep. I haven't played it. By the way, you should play Skyrim. <laughs> when I, there's when like I, eleven releases of it, damn, yeah, came well, out in 2011.
0: I was listening to it the other day, and like there were like for the cat, there were birds yeah. and stuff moving around. So I have a picture of birds and a cat like trying to catch these birds. That's, fun. <laughs> that's what's associated with the Skyrim oh, um, soundtracks for me. Uh, so we're going to move to Builders Anonymous. Yeah, Builders Anonymous. Uh right? specialty costume and Prop House. Yeah. Could you explain the concept of Builders Anonymous and the range of services it provides? And how does it contribute to the overall production uh, process of TV series and films? Absolutely. Uh, so that's... Like two big questions there.
1: Yeah, so, and they dovetail really nicely. So Builders Anonymous, um, we are a company here in Toronto that builds, uh, like the name kind of says, specialty costumes and effects, uh, props, work stuff. Uh, what that generally means is non-traditional materials. Um, so we do a lot of like space suits and superhero suits and, and suits of armor uh, in, in the costume side of things. Mm. Um, which are not generally made out of like stri- like strictly straightforward fabrics um, and that kind of thing. Um, and then with props, we do a lot of like uh, making stunt safe props. So we'll take you know a a real piece you know whether it's metal or or whatnot like we do a lot of knives yeah uh you know we'll mold that and we'll cast it in something soft and we'll it'll be painted to look exactly the same but then it's safe for the actors to use basically
0: like it bends
1: it'll bend but it'll go back to its original shape so they can you know they can use it in a fight scene and everybody's safe that's that's our main thing is is everybody being safe so that we can do these things because uh you know film and stunt sequences can be dangerous yes um and so and I mean, inherently are dangerous. So we do everything we can to kind of mitigate that. Um, but then we also get to do really kind of cool stuff with uh, like spacesuits. And, and you know, it's, it, yeah, it's kind of just like fun, interesting, kind of like one-off stuff a lot of the time, mm. which I enjoy. Um, and then the way that it kind of helps the pipeline is so we got into this because uh, Jen, Ian, and I worked together on Star Trek Discovery. Yes. Um, we were the, the heads of the build team on season one. Um, in the costume department, and Star Trek Discovery is one of those big shows that actually needs a full time build team. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every season they've they've had I don't know, easily ten people on staff the entire season, just because it's such a build heavy show. Is that is like ten people in costume very, like a lot? Oh, that's ten people just on the the costume build team, just like, and that's not including the the yeah. the sewers who are doing the fabric and the cutters. Like that is in addition World. to a normal. Costume uh, department, um, and so Jen, Ian, and I uh, have really complementary personalities, and we work really well together. And so we we went on from that to uh, working on the boys, and we did a couple other shows, and we realized that we really liked working together, um, and that we wanted to kind of stick together because when you're a crew member, you don't really have control over who you work with mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, you know, sometimes people do move as a pack, but a lot of the times, you know, people get hired one offs. Uh, and it's hard to keep the, the band together.
0: Yeah, by complementary, do you mean complementary and personality or skills?
1: Both. Um we have a nice Venn diagram of skill sets, but also our personalities work in a way that we are 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 uh we're we're very conducive to each other, it both in our process and uh our like I don't want to say limitations, but like the way our personalities interact works really well um because Film, and especially what we do, can be really uh, tight time- timelines and really high stress. Mm. Um, and you are generally working with fairly dangerous materials. And so you need, in my experience and preference, uh, people who can be calm and level-headed and, you know, react quickly but not panic. Mm. And, you know, that kind of stuff. It's um, And so when you find people who you work really well with in that situation, you want to hold on to them because... Even if someone is a, an amazing person day to day, and even if they themselves are really good in a crisis, if they aren't good in a crisis the way you're good in a crisis, or like their approach to a to a situation is different, you end up you end up grinding against each other, and you'll you'll have a lot more problems.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, to diverge a bit, what are hours like for you guys? Because you guys,
1: uh, it, it depends on a, a d- it depends on the show, and like Builders Anonymous is a lot better generally um in so far as we have a bit more control this this was part of the reason we ended up starting the company was that it allows us to on a day-to-day basis decide which projects we're going to take uh we can maintain our own safety standards um we can make sure that we're all safe and that we're we're also all uh you know being compensated properly and taken care of and you know that kind of thing it's it's something that's really important to me um Mm -hmm. on uh like star trek for example that was a really intensive show and we ended up doing like like a lot of long days yeah. 16 hour days for months um just because the asks on that show were really high and i'm 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 very proud of what we were able to put on screen i think you see the quality and effort do. on on camera um but it, it was a very ambitious show and uh that unfortunately uh ends up coming down to there's a certain point that you get to that you can't speed up the process. Mm. Part of it is like mixing chemicals. It takes X amount of time for that to be done. And so that becomes your rock, right? Where it cannot change. So if you have something that's due in 48 hours and that will take 16 hours, mm. then you have to do everything else within that the, the, the additional time and if that means working all forty-eight hours because you can't adjust the deadline or the cure time, you kind of fall into these these uh, precarious situations. BA is better for us uh, professionally because, or, or uh, health wise, um, because we are able to uh, choose which jobs we take. Mm. And so when we're overloaded, um, because we're not contractually obligated as a crew member, the way that you like. You can say no as crew, and I, I don't want to at all imply that you can't. Um, but it's a very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Than Where it, you choose
0: your gigs, exactly. Whereas yeah.
1: if I if if we're overwhelmed and somebody comes to us and they're like, "Hey, we need this in two days," I can I can just say to them like, "I I, I we don't have time. I'm really sorry." And mm-hmm. it's it's a real no harm, no foul. Yeah. Whereas if you're working on a crew, and your supervisor comes to you, "We need this in two days," you tell them you can't. Then they've got to go fight with the producer, and then it becomes this whole yeah. kind of political complication that you don't want. Like, no, everybody wants to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're all artists, and we want to do cool stuff. But um, but yeah, like you know, and occasionally we get crunchy at BA where something happens, and you're like, oh, we, well, we're we're here late, and it's gonna suck. Oh, um, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it happens. Like it's the nature of film. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's yeah. nice about
0: it as yeah. well. You know, yeah. like sometimes like sometimes you get something that's high stress sometimes it's low stress yeah you know it ebbs and flows it really counterbalances itself yeah uh can you describe the collaborations though between builders anonymous and filmmakers so how do how do you work together to bring the vision to life through costume and props
1: oh absolutely so um we oftentimes will get uh when when the the client comes to us whether they're a customer or a prop master uh they'll they'll bring concept art mm-hmm. which makes our life
0: so much easier that's good have you ever had to like create the concept yourself
1: yeah sometimes um but very rarely and when we do that we don't usually draw up um like like uh concept art drawings mm-hmm. uh quite often we'll do a maquette oh. um and so
0: that's what you did for
1: what's this robin, robin hood yeah yeah so so I'll, oftentimes we'll make a maquette um and so for example when we were working on uh robin hood we got to work with the the costume designer and uh and uh and and director x who's the the creator of of the show they had a clear idea of what they wanted it to be and we were just trying to narrow that field onto what that looked like practically and mm. so uh ian made this this awesome maquette Um, And that was honestly one of my favorite collaborative processes we've ever had um, because, you know, once a week we'd have them out and we'd have a bunch of pieces that were like, hey, is it this? Is it that? You know, and they'd yes, no, yes, no. Uh, And it was really great because in a perfect world, when you're collaborating with someone, they know what they want, Mm. but they don't know precisely what they want. It's Mm. that same thing of in screenwriting, leaving enough space for other people to, to fill with their artistic pieces yeah. um and it was a really great experience working with charlene and x where like they knew what they wanted and we could just kind of riff on that you yeah know? yeah um but yeah so so yeah you you get to kind of riff and refine um and and that's something i really enjoy uh, i sound like such an old person saying this but i really enjoy the way uh you know technology has freed us up to do that where we can you know mm. film film the piece in three dimensions or just send snapshots and then you know within two minutes the designer or the the showrunner or whomever can mark it up just on their phone mm-hmm. you know and, and even just looking at where we were you know five years ago where people were doing it in photoshop and like there's those extra steps slow you down nice. um, and when time is such a valuable commodity having that like on the fly you know kind of like do 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 Makes your life so much easier. It does. Like, uh, like in Robin Hood, the they've got these uh, the, these masks with uh, light strips on them. Mm-hmm. It's in the it's in the trailer. People can see they look awesome. It's something I'm super proud of. Um, and for that, we me s- too. Yeah, we, we <laughs> sent I worked a- on that. Yeah, you did. It, it was <laughs> awesome. And and we sent a photo of the mask, and and uh, you know X and the designer just drew on the image where the the light lines should go. Mm. Two minutes door to door. It was great. Yeah. And then we we're like, perfect. We see what you're seeing. Let's do this, and then bingo, bango! Now it's a, now it's an awesome show on global. Oh yeah. yeah, damn, man.
0: that's a nice process. And this this process itself, though, varies from project to project.
1: Absolutely, um, it is something. I was listening to uh, one of your one of your other episodes with the 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 woman who's a production designer. I'm terrible at names. Yes, um, Vicky. Vicky. Yeah. And she she mentioned something that that I think is very universal for film, which is that uh, on every job, you'll learn how to do something and you'll never do it that way again. <laughs> um, and it is, it is you know, you, you take new skills from each thing, but every job is totally different. And, you know, even as far as like we, we worked on the show um, where we made a bunch of different spacesuit helmets for mm. them and every spacesuit helmet was different. And so like even the approach to how we made those was really different there were some core elements that were the same same universe and everything but it w- they, you know they were very uh you know apples and grapefruits like mm-hmm. very different kind of um applications of how to use those materials and how to use those processes um hot damn
0: um is it could I, an example be like c yeah,
1: C would be a great example of it. Um,
0: cuz you had to create like
1: multiple masks. And, oh, yeah, we we made, yeah, and... we made we made all sorts of stuff on C. C was an interesting one because we worked uh Ian and I worked as crew in the costume department for that and then we worked through Builders Anonymous for the props department. And I think that was the last show that we really did that kind of split um approach on it. Um mm. It was it was good and and I'm I'm super proud of the stuff that we got to do on C. It was
0: Okay, I'm gonna say it wasn't advertised as much yeah, to the general public, yeah. but it was a great show. I
1: really feel like it's gonna be a sleeper hit. It's gonna be one of those in like five years. I think a lot of people will find out about it and be like, yeah. oh my god, this is an amazing season. And what's nice is the showrunners really got to tell like a full story. Like it ends where they wanted it to end. It doesn't really? end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, they they to- they came and told the full okay, story. I'm
0: gonna have to watch season three. Yeah, then.
1: it pays off. Um yeah, it it, it was really good. And yeah, like that that one was totally different than than a lot of other jobs. And it's interesting, like, you know, if you look at C, I think 85% of everything we did on C was leather work, um, which wow. is generally my specialty. Uh, and I, I had a great time.
0: With the mention of working on Robin Hood, yep. for instance, there was that aspect of allowing yourselves to be creative as well, you know? So how do you manage your responsibilities at builders anonymous while pursuing your personal creative projects first and foremost and by that i don't necessarily mean like personal personal creative projects but more um create yeah creative yeah. in the sense of like with the projects that you do have on so or I th- you have yeah been on no i
1: i follow do i i know it makes sense I? Yeah. yeah um i think i think for me the big difference is that i've been able to keep kind of my personal art you know with with my writing and directing very separate mm. from the stuff that we do at ba so it, it uh it scratches a very different itch you know? I know what
0: you mean i do the same thing yeah and as well
1: and so um and and i can always tell when ba work is slow because i start making like belts and and stuff like that because i'm not you know having that uh that side of my personality kind of fulfilled enough Mm -hmm. um which if you want belts my friends get belts um (laughs) but uh but yeah so so that kind of thing and so it, it is nice to be able to keep it separate um and then the the difference is uh for for me from approach wise for ba work it's a lot more of like Problem solving approaching mm. it, as much as it is creative, it it is you know because it's within those bounds and it has to complete those yeah those kind of
0: elements. I've realized that it's more like when I when I personally do my own art, it's not it's like okay, I I know what to do. Let me just create something. Yeah, right um, over the top or whatnot. But then when I create for BA, I'm always like, okay, let's figure out, let's problem solve. What how do I make this object? as you said it's like you're not making the same thing over and over yeah. again so you normally require like different skill sets yeah right so for instance i use uh zero remesh does remesher. no 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 one of those things um, you've never
1: had to say out loud yeah i yeah. know <laughs>
0: um what B. brush z Z Z brush? No, there's there's a there's a brush I use, yeah. right? Um, and it allows me to build off of topology. Oh, fun! So rather than sculpting like organically, yeah, I'm mainly using like squares, and I'm attaching them together and have to make them symmetrical and whatnot so that's always where like the problem problem solving aspect comes in because i'm like okay for instance uh i need to make this remote yeah. control yeah. or whatever yeah. right and i'm like okay i need to extrude here i need to create this cylinder but then it can't be like it can't be a full cylinder it has to be hollow inside with an extrusion around the edge it's just things like that and it's more i'm just problem solving most of the time i realize yeah right and with that problem solving um it has become a lot easier but i also understand that like i've come to the notion of come to the understanding or the aha moment of i don't listen to music when i'm creating va stuff yeah right uh on my computer at least uh When in the studio, I do. Yeah, but yeah, on the computer, I don't listen to music. I'm just like, okay, let's do this. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. it it holds your focus. Yeah, Yeah. I like that too. Because at the same time, I've realized that whatever I create for BA stuff, I end up applying that same knowledge into creating like accessories, and it's really helped me understand how to create. I don't know the term. You're gonna kill me for this, but the neck pieces you know it goes on the shoulder and the neck oh
1: like a gorget like a is that
0: what it's called like armor or is it Alyssa? She she doesn't know no she doesn't know <laughs>
1: like, like for your pieces yeah 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 like a gorget or like like a neck guard of some variety yeah, yeah.
0: like i didn't know how to do that yeah. but then with the skills that i have gotten you yeah. know we're glad to help it really <laughs> helps me like put everything into perspective and it makes my sculpting a lot easier. Yeah. For fun.
1: Well, I think I think the difference is. Uh, do you know the 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 term like ex nihilo? No. Uh, it's Latin for from nothing. Um, I thought it was
0: like some. I was thinking some Tron stuff.
1: I mean, probably. <laughs> uh, no, but I find uh, the the distinction kind of between the two is that BA work is is as much problem solving as it is creative because you're trying to fulfill a set series of of you know notions and terms and uses Mm. whereas like my writing and directing is very ex nihilo where i just am kind of like creating something from nothing and just pulling it out of the ether Mm -hmm. and it's very different skill sets that dovetail really nicely and and one strengthening ones uh one helps the other but also like you said like being able to do these you know these ba projects and and have it be very structural and and learning new skills there then when you come back to your your pieces that are ex Nilo, and you're just doing it for yourself mm. you can then take those skills and, and, and apply them uh in in both directions which is really helpful
0: yeah but most of the time as you say like i never see myself recreating the same thing no. over and over it's always like okay i gotta learn a little something new yeah with this program and it does help in the end because like i have realized that a lot of people are like oh man like you really know this program? You're like, no, and, I, made, and, it I <laughs> yeah, made it up. Yeah, and like recently, because I've been posting a lot, yeah. So I had an influx of people coming and being like, "Hey, man, like, I need your advice. And I need you to like share this with me." And honestly, it's just because I've been doing BA stuff. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, all that knowledge is just transferred, and I'm like, "Oh, I like this aspect."
1: Oh that's, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's you know all. You know, we've taught a couple of courses on how to do uh, FX costuming and stuff, and, and I always say that, uh, which is not an original quote of mine, but all talent is just applied effort. Mm. You know, the more you do something, the better you get at it, and you learn little tricks and stuff and that kind of stuff. And that's I love similar. that quote yeah. of yours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not originally of mine. I don't know who. <laughs> know okay, oh, who said that. it originally. Somebody smart. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's something I kind of carry with me that yeah, you can be good at anything if you're willing to mm. to put in that time and, and effort. Just keep doing it. You know.
0: So we're going to go to unionizing because I feel like this is an important one. But a lot of people always are like, I don't know whether to be unionized or not. You know, especially like I feel like freelancers don't understand what it's like. And thus the leap of faith is always like challenging. Yep. And because it's new territory um for instance there's someone out there i'm not like saying names not pointing any fingers or whatnot no no just someone i know Mm -hmm. right they told me that like like they they do freelance yeah and they've been doing it for quite a while and they've gained that knowledge of how things roll in the freelance world but then when they like when there's a mention of union and starting with union, right, they're like, no, I like, it's kind of scary. I, I oh, don't want to go back to square one where I don't know nothing. Yeah. And like some people might just look at me like, uh, oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah, bro. And that's true. Yeah. You know, as a member of Ayatsi, how has being part of a union influenced your career and, and work in the film industry? And what are some advantages and benefits that you have experienced being part of Yeti?
1: Yeah, so I uh I'm I'm an aggressively pro-union person. Um I think just just in general, everybody but should be in a union. Um, because the way capitalism is designed is inherently uh competitive and you're working as a disadvantaged, uh, from a disadvantaged state. So, uh, if you're a worker, and so I think it is, it is really important to support each other, even if you're not in a proper union. Just insofar as like telling everybody else, like your peers, what you are making. Mm. No one will be mad at you for your rate. They will be mad at your boss for paying them less, or you'll be mad at your boss for you getting paid less. It's mm-hmm. it's you know uh, a line that we're fed.
0: You just reminded me of like the tipping culture here yeah
1: or... it's a mess um <laughs> yeah no so uh i'm very pro union I a hundred percent understand the fear of starting from starting from the beginning again mm-hmm. um and what I have found is by and large with 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 some exceptions but by and large um uh IATSI is very conducive to letting people rise through the ranks elaborate so um i started. In IATSE uh, when I was twenty, um, and by the time I was twenty five, I was a key builder on Star Trek. Um, yeah, and and so like, did you start as like a PA? No, so I started as a costume assistant, okay. um, which is schlepping costumes around and, and bagging them. Next and, word. Yeah, thank you. It's the <laughs> technical term, you know. You you and the it is it is rough. You know, you're you're starting at four a.m. dressing background, and you're you're bleary eyed, but you know, it's also like. I got paid more mm-hmm. to be a costume assistant on a union show than I did as the set key on an indie show because the way uh iatsi pro- uh, productions work is just that like, the base pay is standardized across the board you're you're going to make better money than you will mm-hmm. in the indie world and and that's not always the case um and some people were probably much more confident negotiators than I was uh, <laughs> at that time but it opens up a lot of doors to you in terms of the kind of projects you can work on because in uh, places where there are Iatsi locals and we've got the agreements with producers, once you hit a certain budget line in terms of like how much money the production has, mm-hmm. if it doesn't sign with the union, the union's going to to go against it because... It is then exp- it, they have the money to pay the people properly oh, and okay. pay the fringes. So like in iatsi you get health benefits. You can, you know, your dental is paid for through these health benefits, mm-hmm. pays for my therapy, which has been, you know, incredible. I highly recommend, um, you know, it, we have RSPs, we have a support system, you yeah. know, if something incredibly illegal is happening on the production, iatsi will support you and they will step in like it yeah. is. It's Be- in-
0: better hours as well than well indie? let's not get crazy um <laughs> it's still film um
1: it's for my money and and I, I i say this as someone who is like like a union member as a crew member and an indie filmmaker
0: mm-hmm.
1: by and large i do feel like union shows are better for the crew both in terms of the protections it provides the benefit it provides mm. um and also because and obviously not everyone's experience is the same but for myself being a member of IATSE 873 has not limited me from being able to do the things i wanted to do yeah you know when i wanted to go do an indie movie like they were fine with it you know i feel
0: like that's the biggest fear as yeah. well as like yeah. am i only limited to
1: oh yeah like, no it, it's a fear I of cutting your things. hand off yeah uh, and, and and i found them to be very reasonable um yeah. the 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 leadership uh that we have in 873 is uh, a really a really good team mm-hmm. and yeah no it's it, it's been really good but also like you can permit with the unions and you like your your permit fees come off of your paycheck so you're not losing money like actively if you're not working you're not paying them Mm -hmm. um and then you have the opportunity to work on the union shows and experience that difference and see if it's something you're interested in and then you can also like you're also free to do anything else you know it's like the difference between dating and being married uh you know
0: that's a nice analogy yeah
1: um and and for me the tipping point was uh just yeah the shows that Iatsy gets because like here in Toronto we had Suicide Squad back in the day, which was my big like uh, get to go hang out with Batman. Uh <laughs> and then you know Star Trek Discovery, The Boys, we had C here, mm-hmm. you know, we Umbrella Academy, uh what we do in the shows. Like we have we have these really big shows that you can you you have the possibility of doing really cool things on. Yeah. You know? That's true. Like I, I never would have gotten to make uh, a suit of samurai armor for Jason Momoa if I wasn't in IATZ873 because you just like, you know, he's at a caliber that he's not necessarily gonna do an indie show that has yeah. the kind of budget to hire us to do those things and pay us at like like what it's worth to actually do that. Yeah. And again, that's not me besmirching uh, indie film like I'm an indie filmmaker. It's just kind of the like the pragmatic realities of budgets. Yeah, that's you true. Know?
0: That's true. So with the benefits that you have mentioned, yeah. ex- excluding those. Yeah. Right. In your view, what are the benefits and challenges of being unionized and also a filmmaker?
1: Yeah, I, I mean it. It is. It is the kind of thing where, like, from from the the directing side, um, you know, I uh, like like you know, once you get to that budget point, you do have to negotiate with the unions, and, and that's mm. that I think can be daunting, um, for for people, especially coming from an indie world when you start working it it does feel like like negotiating with this giant corporation which they're not that's not really how a union works but but it feels like a real david and goliath situation yeah um and uh like like we've uh worked with uh actra which is the actors union on my last two projects uh because we wanted to use union actors and and you have to and that's how that works and actors is a, a very strong union uh mm-hmm. and i was quite intimidated um <laughs> but at the end of the day they were lovely people and and you know Everybody, we're all artists who want to make art, like yeah. you know.
0: At the end of the day, you never know who's gonna say a yes, yeah, type e- of thing. Exactly.
1: Oh, always swing for the fences. And and
0: so yeah, like we're gonna off to the last topic.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, right segue.
0: The intersection of art and film. Yeah. This is where your video game comes in. Yes, video game. <laughs> so how does your experience in the film industry inform your creative approach to developing a video game? And are there any particular elements or techniques from film that you incorporate in your gaming projects or your game projects?
1: Yeah. So um, I think, I think so the, the, the biggest kind of core element for the game that, that was really influenced by my film background was the, just how linear narrative it is. Mm. Um, I've, I've written a couple of game projects and they're all like very much. I, I, I work on the, the story overarching elements of it all. I haven't forgotten
0: the one you were telling me about. Which one? Prague.
1: Prague. Oh, Prague. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, Lucerna. um Yeah, and but it it is again like a like a fairly lim- linear story, and it's something that I think I need to work on, just kind of as a creative type person because I enjoy games being so open ended um, mm. and open world. It's something I think I can really. Out. Yeah, well, insofar I have a as, hard time with open world games. Well, in so far as like you know, like I I would love to do stuff more in the vein of uh, like you know Red Dead Redemption Two or like uh, Breath of the Wild or you know there, see, there's I a beginning it. and an end and you know there's there's many different ways to get there. Um, whereas like Light and Shadow is is a an incredibly linear game, but there was also a very clear story I wanted to tell with that, um, and so going into it i knew really really clearly i was like you know we we storyboarded each level like you would have seen yeah in terms of like you know this is what happens here this is what happens there um and then all of our cutscenes we actually uh that was a fascinating process because we filmed a shadow play of it um but as but that's in, film yeah well and and so so it was it was a really interesting combination between uh you know obviously it's a cutscene for a video game but it's also like a really interesting collaboration between my filmmaking process and how shadow puppetry works Mm -hmm. um, because i wrote it in filmmaking language so there are cuts and there are shot changes and so we filmed it as a shadow play but like between each shot change they had to completely reset the screen yeah because it's a different angle which like you know if they were doing it live they wouldn't necessarily do it like that and so that was a really fascinating kind of uh blending of like game language film language and then like traditional live theater elements um and especially because that game doesn't have any talking and i think that's i've shown that's the nicest yeah. thing
0: i like about it i always applaud anything that can tell a story without any dialogue
1: and and that's a really traditional um shadow puppetry uh, yeah. element of it which sequoia uh, erickson brought in and she re- she was really adamant that we we kind of stay true to that and i'm so glad that she was um because it's allowed it to, to like it's uh it's it's been very successful kind of internationally um mm. we currently have i checked it this morning and this is why i remember it but it was at 100 150 420, uh downloads yeah damn yeah which is well and a huge amount of those are in china and (laughs) and a huge amount of them are in russia which i find interesting um and i don't know what that says about uh
0: go against that propaganda i'm
1: just like these people need uh assistance for being anxious and depressed for some reason but uh but no it's it's uh and i you know we we wouldn't we wouldn't be seeing that kind of influx Hmm. if it was all in english right like that's that's you know that's true even if you're doing subtitles or you're doing translations like there's always room for error and so having there's there's no dialogue in the game beyond the credits um and there's a like a mental health resources page which is mm. in english and also canada specific um because that game we were uh funded by both the canadian arts council and the ontario arts council nice. council for the arts um and and so like you know it, it is important to be authentically canadian and in that regard you know for for a game with uh functionally no marketing budget and it's free on steam it's free on steam um
0: you can download it yeah, now you can
1: download it uh light and shadow um but it uh you know it's 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 been very positively received and what's cool is watching people play the game and you know do play through it with commentary and talk about what they're feeling and, mm. and seeing those moments where like it hits where they're like oh you know like this actually that you know the, these bugs make me feel anxious and I was like good me too I life. remember
0: when playing yeah. and I was like oh my god I'm feeling anxious because yeah. especially the first time no spoilers yeah yeah, the, yeah the well f- I, th-
1: I think we can talk about like the <laughs> mechanism of the game
0: yeah, yeah like when that occurs just for the first time yeah it's like what's happening yeah like I don't like this yeah and like, as a person who's not necessarily claustrophobic, I started feeling claustrophobic. Yeah. You know, so, like, it really induces anxiety really well. Thank you. And then when you get the musical...
1: The music notes, yeah, the collectibles. Yeah.
0: I'm allowed to say that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, okay. and I think it's in the... it's If it's not out yet, it, it is in the trailer, the f- the first moment of joy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like,
0: when you get that for the first time. Or just understanding the mechanism of, okay, like collecting these actually keeps all these bad insects away yeah right and it keeps my screen my screen from going dark i'm like okay
1: the the way the gameplay loop on that that works is something i'm really proud of because it it was super collaborative in terms of um for those of you who haven't played the game um as you are going forward in, in in time uh this swarm of bugs slowly uh closes in around you which from like a mechanic standpoint makes it hard to do the platforming because they Mm. obscure your vision um but also like eventually they'll they'll enswarm you and uh poe takes a nap and you there's no penalty for for failure but you reset and Um, at the
0: sorry and at the same time the bugs are moving yeah
1: they all they all they all move and it's uh it was it was a, a feat of uh of programming by a yeah. programming team, and it makes me itchy to watch.
0: Yeah, it really like it really suffocates your focus.
1: You know, you my favorite part about that is if you pause, the bugs don't stop. They yeah, don't come closer, but they keep <laughs> swarming on your yeah. screen. It's so creepy. Yeah, um, yeah, and so and then on top of that, so so this is really where that so as that's happening, uh, the closer the bugs get, the fewer instruments are in the score, like the musical score. So it starts stripping away instruments and starts layering in a human heartbeat. Um, and so as you get to the point where, where you collapse, it's just a human heartbeat. You're functionally having an anxiety attack. Um, and then on the ground, there's also like this depression fog that slows you down. And so if you don't find a way of getting out of that, you move slower and then you can't collect as much. And then the anxiety builds, um, because I, I, personally feel like it was a very apt way of expressing things that I experienced.